Lee Webb sat beside me on the front row before I got up here and he said, don't you have any fun today? And don't you dare say anything about Purdue. <laughs> and I showed him my notes and I said, it's been in my notes all week that I'm starting with Purdue. <laughs> they won last night. They are the occasion for my beautifully wrapped golden black gift. But there's another story from Purdue that I want to start with today. This week, a Purdue graduate who still lives in West Lafayette, Indiana, won the Powerball. $435 million. I mean, who, who doesn't want to win the lottery, right? Who doesn't want to win the lottery? I love it. But here is what you, is unique about this guy's story. Somehow, this guy has remained anonymous and desires to do so. So there's this big to-do because this guy, this Purdue graduate, uh, he's, he's obviously really smart. <laughs> he won the Powerball, and he's remained completely anonymous. He wants the riches, but he doesn't want the responsibility of being told by others what to do with all of his winnings. Now, what's funny is that it's maybe backfired a little bit because last night at midnight when Purdue uh, punched their ticket to the Sweet 16, boiler up. All of these Purdue students began tweeting at said anonymous Powerball winner and saying, hey, poor college student looking to go to the Sweet 16. Here there's a Powerball winner that just graduated from Purdue that might want to buy my ticket, right? And so everybody was, was trying to get a piece of this, this guy's money. And um, I just, I find that just to be such an interesting story. You know, a lot of times Powerball winners, they, they're like, they're out there, they're taking big pictures, and this guy wants to remain completely anonymous. And I think his story uh, illustrates a little bit of the tension that Paul was feeling with the people of Ephesus. Paul, in the book of Ephesians, in the first couple of chapters, he's talking about uh, being chosen. He's talking about being a leader. He's talking about this great city of Ephesus that people are in, and he's cautioning them uh, about the divisions that they might experience. And then you start reading in chapter 3, and all of a sudden, it's like the tenor changes. All of a sudden, Paul, instead of referring to himself as a chosen apostle, calls himself a prisoner. He says, I'm a prisoner for the benefit of you Gentiles. And he says, I'm, I'm assuming, by the way, that you know that God gave me a special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. Well, why, why would he do that? I think Paul might have done that because he understood something about the Ephesians that, that might also be true of us. You see, the Ephesians, they, they wanted the richness of the gospel. They wanted the good news of the gospel. They wanted to win the Powerball without the responsibility to continue loving one another, to continue to be united with one another. Isn't that a really easy temptation to fall into? It's my life. The riches of God's grace are for me. And so I'm, I'm, I'm going to come, I'm going to receive, I'm going to get those riches and then I'm just going to go and I'm going to live my life without the responsibility of others, of a fellowship, of a local church, telling me what I should do with the riches of God's grace. We want riches without responsibility. We want riches without responsibility. I mean, who doesn't want to win the Powerball, right? We'd rather win the lottery than craft a budget that would help us save millions of dollars of our own hard-earned money along the way. 
right? It's just like, it's our sinful nature living in us. And so whether you think you're that way or not, like it's probably true of all of us that we want these riches without responsibility. And, and because this, this sin nature can creep up in us, it, it brings out these attitudes or um, maybe these actions that express these attitudes about how we engage with the church. And all of a sudden, the attitude, the, the, the mindset that we have is, well, I want to go to church and I just want to sit in my chair. I don't want to be seen. I don't want to be heard until I'm ready to be seen or heard. I just want to go to church and just sit in my chair. I want to go to a church where I feel like I'm being fed. That's, that's more of a concern or priority for me than finding a church where I can go and feed God's sheep. Or uh, maybe it, it creeps up in an attitude like this. We want to, we want to go to a, to a healthy church. We want our church to be healthy, but we don't really want the responsibility of being involved in creating the health of that church. Right? We, just, we just want them to take care of it, and it'll be good. You see, we're not that different from the Ephesians. We're not that different from people uh, all across time that, that want the riches of God's grace. Right? We want the richness of, of all that God has to offer us, the, the, the wide and the, the long and the deep love of Jesus. We want that, but we don't want the responsibility of what we're supposed to do with that. We want to we push away from that. And it carries over into this idea of unity, too. We want everyone to work together, but we're not really willing to let others help us in whatever we're doing, right? So work together, but just don't mess with my thing. We want everyone to work together, but we aren't willing to spend time with those who might be able to help us see our strengths or weaknesses or, or help us where we're, we're not good or vice versa, right? We don't want to cooperate. We want everyone to work together, but we don't really want to spend the time to figure out what it looks like to cooperate, we want everyone to work together, but we aren't really willing to, to stop doing what we're not good at. That's where the rubber really meets the road, right? We want everybody to work together, but, but I'm going to do whatever it is that I need to do, and I'm not going to stop doing anything. I sat in a, um, there's a, there's a really cool gathering that's, that's coming up in Shelbyville right now. Uh, service providers of all different kinds, from, from medical fields and from nonprofits and from churches and from businesses, they're beginning to get together and, and say, they're taking this, this need survey, and they're looking at it, and they're saying, how do we take the next step as a community to, to get better? And we met this week, and it was this really interesting conversation because inside of that conversation, what we found was that there was a lot of different people and, and, and ministries and all kinds of stuff that were trying to solve some of the same problems. They were, they were doing some of the same things. But yet, when you begin a conversation about, well, if somebody's already doing that and they're doing it better than you, why don't you not do it and let them help you? It was like, well, right, that wall comes up a little bit. and like, oh, Well, we've got to do this. We can't stop doing this. So it's like we want everyone to work together. We want everyone to be unified, but, but there's difficulty because we're not really willing to stop doing what we're not good at. It's because we don't know who we are. We don't know how God has crafted us. Our, uh, our poema, as Jeff talked about last week, the masterpiece that God has designed in us. So now we have this problem, right? We want riches without responsibility. We're not really sure of, of how we interact with a body of believers or a group of people. And yet, we read here in Ephesians chapter 3 that God's plan is to reveal himself to the unseen through the togetherness, through the unity of the church. God, are you sure that's a good plan? I mean, I'm not questioning you, God, but are you sure that's a good plan? Because it's really hard for us to, to do this. 
And you see, this whole gist of Ephesians chapter 3 is this, is that God is revealing his riches in response to unity. God is revealing his riches to you, to the world, in response to our unity with him, with each other, and with those that he calls us on mission with. And, and that never happens if we try and go it alone. You see, unity matters. Why does unity matter? Unity matters because it's God's plan for revealing himself to the world. Unity doesn't matter so that we can build something bigger or be a part of something more. Those are just side benefits. Unity matters because it is God's plan for revealing himself to those who have not accepted or do not know him. When others who do not know the gospel of Jesus see Christians working together, it makes an impact on, on them. Read with me in Ephesians 3, 10 and 11. Go back and look at this. It says, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety. You see, we all have uniqueness to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan. It wasn't just a plan for a season. It's the eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Dave Sullivan, one of our pastor elders, uh, he preached at our Midland location last week on Ephesians 2 while Jeff was preaching here on Ephesians 2. And he spoke about this idea of the umbrella of unity, that, that Jesus' story, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, that Christ was both God and man, that he came and he lived a perfect life so that he could die a perfect death and pay for your sins, that that, that story becomes this huge umbrella of unity that we can all stand underneath. It's so big that everyone can get underneath it. And, and, and this piece of unity that he pulls together, he calls the church, his bride. The church, then, is the only thing. It's the eternal plan, right? It's the only thing that God says the gates of hell will not prevail against. Jesus is speaking to Peter in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, and he says this, Now I say to you that, that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock... I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Everything else in our world, this makes us uncomfortable, right? But, but everything else in our world, everything that we've worked so hard for, the Powerball money that we just won, hell can prevail against it. It can all be gone in an instant. But, but the church, the church is the one thing, the bride of Christ that the gates of hell will never prevail against. God reveals his riches in response to unity. And you may be saying, well, what are, what are these riches that you speak of? Like, we just keep talking about them in general. Like, oh, the riches of God's grace. What are those things? Well, it's a good thing that Paul helped fill in some of those blanks. And he, he does it in the form of a prayer. This is where, if you've got Ephesians chapter 3 open, follow along with me and we're going to, we're going to see some of it there, and then we're going to speak even deeper into it with some verses that we put on the screen. So a few things about God's riches. Uh, first, God's riches give us inner strength through the Spirit. Verse 16 says, I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his Spirit. Unlimited resources. All the Powerballs of all time encapsulated in a spirit that he chooses to place inside of you. That's the riches of God. And it gives you strength 
It gives you strength. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says this. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. You see the picture he's painting there? That everything about us, everything about you is is very fragile. It's breakable. In just a moment's notice, everything you think you know about your life could be changed and gone and different. And yet inside of that very fragile life is this incredible power, the power and the unlimited resource of God. And it says this makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. That's the richness of God. That's the riches that we speak of. But not only that, God's riches we learn are gained through trusting him. Verse 17 says, Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. As you trust in him. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, one of my favorite verses of all time because my mom would speak it to me every day as I walked out of the door. She'd always say, lean on the big guy. And in the NIV translation, it actually makes a little more sense. But the NLT says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. The NIV says, lean not on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. I can remember every day, I'm going through middle school, right? Awkward middle school years, and you're like, I have no clue what's going on in my life. I feel this way one day, and I feel this way the next day. Oh, it's crazy! And then you go through high school, and you're stressed about what you're supposed to do and be in life. And every day, my mom's just saying, lean on the big guy, lean on the big guy, lean on the big guy. Learn to trust him a little more. Learn to trust him a little more. And in that, that's where we begin to experience those riches of God that give us strength to make it through the day. So trust God more today than you did yesterday. Mentally let go of something that you're holding close, knowing that that God can be trusted with things more than you can. Uh, Bob Goff, I've referenced this before, but it's just a great idea, a powerful idea. Uh, Tom Gee, as Rachel calls him. Uh, Tom Gee, no, Bob Goff, sorry, that was an inside joke I should fill people in on, but Rachel thinks Bob Goff is Tom Gee. So Bob Goff, he, uh, he has this thing he does. Every Thursday he quits something. He quits something. And in that, what he's talking about is he's expressing that he trusts God with something that he previously had tried to hold on to himself. I'm going I'm to quit holding on to this thing, and I'm going to trust God with this thing. And I love that idea that, that we can gain the riches of God through trusting in Christ more and more each day. And as we do that, we see that it builds roots in our lives that keep those riches strong. Verse 17 goes on. Your roots will grow down into God's love, and they will keep you strong. Colossians 2.7 says, Let your roots grow down into him, and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. If you are not continually pushing yourself to trust God more, then you will never grow roots that keep you strong as you face the difficulties of this life. You must always be asking yourself, how can I trust God more? What can I trust God with today that I didn't trust him with yesterday? That's how you begin to experience the riches of God. And these riches, there is no end to them. Verse 18 says, may you have the power to understand. I love that he prays it that way, right? Like He's like, you're not going to get this, but may you have the power to understand. I'm going to pray that God would help you understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love really is. Psalm 103 paints this incredible picture. Verse 11 and 12, it says, For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heaven 
above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. And we get this picture that, but, that there is no place that you can go that, that does not know the love of God. That his love encompasses everything. That, and to begin to try and grasp that mentally is, is a challenge, but Paul prays that, that we might be able to grasp it because when we do, when we get that sense, it brings to us wholeness. Verse 19, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, because then you will be made complete with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. You see, these riches that we speak of, they restore you. They make you whole. And so as you come to this place, right, I don't know everybody's story here, but, but for so many of us, sometimes we're like dragging into something like, I'm just going to get here. I, I don't know why I'm even supposed to come, but I just got to get here. And as we experience Christ together, we are reminded of the wholeness, the fullness, the completeness, the restoration that the love of Christ gives to us. God's riches restore you. These riches of God, they, they come in response to unity. And we see that coming in layers. I think there's kind of three layers that we see. You see, first there's finding unity within the gospel message of saying, here's the truth about Jesus and here's the truth about me. Can I find unity? And, and when we do, when we, when we give into the unity of the gospel truth, God reveals the richness of his grace. And, and then we have to think about our relationships with the people that are in our family and, and we work with. And when we find unity with another human being, God reveals the richness of his, of his peace. And then when we begin to walk in step with one another, God reveals the riches of life change and of transformation. God begins to change people. And to be a part of stories of people changing, there is no greater riches. I love Veronica's story. You got a, a little piece of it today. And I love when we said on a Monday, I was like, why, why now, Veronica? Like, why do you want to be baptized now? And her, her answer was, was so encouraging. She's like, I want to be a part of what God is doing here in this church. Right? She wanted to be baptized for you. Like she wanted to be united with God and, and his mission here at Christ Community Church. And, and it's for way more than that, right? Like uh, baptism is, is also unity with God. Like it's, it's most important than that. But, but there was this driver in her that says, I, I want to know unity with God and with the church. She knew his grace. She wanted peace moving forward. And then this answer of, you know, we ask everybody and when you come to Covenant Membership 101, we ask you these questions at the beginning. We say, who are you and how are you going outside? And going outside is this idea from Hebrews 13 that our church presses into. And so Veronica, I love her answer. She's sitting there, right? And she's like, I'm Veronica Cummings, and I'm going outside by trying to make my backyard the most attractive place. The most attractive place for, for my kids and for, their, for our neighbors so that I might share the gospel of Jesus with them while they're playing in my backyard. Yeah, that is it. That is it. You see, God begins to reveal his riches in response to unity. And the question then is the same question that I asked Verona. What are we going to do with the riches that we've been given? Because the riches of God's grace have been given to you. They've already been given to you when, when Jesus came, lived the perfect life, and went to die on the cross. They've been given to you. 
You see, it shouldn't be a mystery as to why we don't experience more of God's riches. I hear people all the same, I just, I, just want to, I just want to know God more. It's often because we haven't shared what we've already been given. We haven't shared what we've already been given in the richness of God's grace and mercy. Read with me verses 6 through 9. Paul reminds the Ephesians, this is God's plan, that both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. Paul says, listen, God has given us grace, yes. But if you want to continue to press into the riches of God, you have to share what he's already given to you because they're designed to be shared equally. No matter your story, no matter your background, no matter who you are, God's riches are designed to be shared. They are gifts meant to be given. And so, as you think about how you are going to be responsible with God's riches, I want to use my handy-dandy Purdue-wrapped gift package here to give you three steps to thinking through how you might be responsible with the riches that God has given you. First one is this. You have to accept the gift of God's grace. You have to accept the gift of God's grace. Um, quick story. Uh, my soon-to-be sister-in-law uh, was having a, uh, they were having family Christmas, and her brother has a girlfriend, right? So I'm just like, trying to weave the web for you. There was a friend of the family at Christmas, and they knew she was coming, and so they got her this gift. They got her this, uh, this sweatshirt. And she opens the gift. I can't make this stuff up. This sounds like I made it up to fit the illustration, but I did not make this up. She opens the gift, doesn't smile, doesn't say thank you, and she says, oh, I opened one of these at my family Christmas this morning. <laughs> right? So she says that. It's, this, isn't, it's, this is great. Like, God made this for a sermon. <laughs> she leaves the sweatshirt at their house. She was just like, I don't need the sweatshirt. I've already got one like it. Like, she just leaves the gift there. I was like, you got to be kidding me, right? Like, you've got to be kidding me. And so uh, my soon-to-be sister-in-law, she picked up a new sweatshirt because her brother's girlfriend didn't accept the gift that was given to her, right? Like, just take the gift home, trade it in, or have two. It doesn't matter. Like, you just accept the gift that has been given to you. Do you know that God has given to each of us the gift of his grace and mercy? That all the bad things in your life he has paid for, all the sin, all the screw-ups, all the mess-ups, like he has given you the gift of saying, I have paid for that. They're taken care of. Like he has given you this beautifully wrapped box and said, new life, new life. And for too many people in our world, for four out of five people in Shelby County, we're looking at that and saying, that's okay. I think I've got a good enough life. I'm not sure I believe in that. 
We have to accept the gift of God's grace that has been given to us. You've been given the gift of the gospel. It was given to you, for you, but it was also given for you to share. And so here's the next thing that that too many of us do with this beautiful gift of God's grace. We look at it, God gives us this gift of grace, and we're like, for me? Thank you. Thank you. This is, this is the most beautifully wrapped gift box I think I've ever seen, right? And, and then what we do is we just never open it. We leave it sitting at church, and like we come and we, we come to church on Sunday, and we've got our nice little gift box, and we're like, God got me a gift. Isn't that so special of him? He loved me. He loved when we sing the songs. He loves me. Oh, how he loves me. And you look at your pretty gift, and you're like, thank you, God, for the gift of grace. I'm going to leave you right here now, and I'll come back, and I'll see you next Sunday. <laughs> we come back the next Sunday, right, and we sing another song, even if we don't know the words. Right, Stephen? <laughs> we love each other. And we're like, oh, look, this gift from God, the gift of his grace is still here. Isn't this the most beautifully wrapped gift box that you've ever seen, right? One Christmas, my mamma, uh, before she passed away, um, it was one of the last Christmases I remember all of our family on my mom's side getting together. And she got all the guys in the, um, in the family, she got them all remote control cars, which is pretty awesome because you end up racing them on, you know, it's, it's cool. But it was really funny because... Um, you know, the first guy opens his gift, and he opens a remote control car, and like, oh, awesome, you know, they accepted the gift. And then the next guy, um, he's like, hmm, there's a box that's shaped about the same size, <laughs> right? And so he opens the gift, and he's like, oh, thank you, remote control car, cool. And then, like, it's like this big joke, right? And, like, you're going around the room, and all the guys are like, hmm, wonder what this is, ha-ha. And you're opening remote control cars, and everybody got the same gift. But Mama, she was, like, sneaky good. Because everybody's remote control car was a different color, right? And so everybody had the same remote control car, but yet everybody's remote control car was unique. It's like, that's cool. So then you can like have races, and you're like, I clearly won because I'm the red one. Or maybe the blue one, because I'm a Cats fan, in addition to Purdue, right? But unity, unity. Everybody's going to be in Indianapolis today watching those games. It's okay, unity. See, here's the thing. Too many of us receive this gift of God's grace, and we just, we just hold it, and we look at the outside of the box, and we never unwrap the gift of God's grace in our own lives to figure out how he has uniquely gifted us. When you give a gift to someone, and, and you've thought about what you want to get them, you give them that gift, and then you are so excited for them to open it. Can you imagine if you went to Christmas, and you, you took everybody their gifts, and then they took their gifts home and opened them there? You'd be like... No, stop. You got to open that. I want to see you open that gift. And the same is true for the church, right? God, through his spirit, has uniquely gifted each one of us. He's given us his gift of grace. But in that grace, the grace in your life looks different than the grace in my life and the grace in your life. And like, we're all unique. And so we have to, we have to open this box up. And, and here's what's, what's tricky is as we do it, right, like we go through life and we're unwrapping it and we think that, Oh, I got the paper off, and um, oh, maybe I'm a box of Christmas cards. Maybe that's God's gift to me. 
he got me Christmas cards, right? And, and so we're, we're like, we're settled in that. Well, okay, this is my gift. But then oftentimes, like, it's like I actually have to, like, pull the tape off and continue to, like, open the gift and get all the way into who God made me to be. And, like, maybe I'm tissue paper, right? I don't know. Like, you're, you're searching for your gift, and it's this lifelong journey of continuing to allow God to speak into to who you are. And then finally, you might get to the core of it, and you figure out exactly who God has made you to be. Never quit searching for who God made you to be. We're going to talk a whole lot more about this in two weeks. But in the meantime, um, if you're signed up for our master text list, which is at CCCMA to 81010, we're going to send out a spiritual gifts uh, worksheet that can help you to start this process. Because here's the thing. We don't want people at Christ Community to just show up every Sunday, sing some songs, be reminded of God's grace, and walk out and leave their gift unwrapped. We want people to press all the way into who God has made them to be and use their gifts to serve those outside the church. Because your gift is a vehicle, is a vehicle for the, the gospel of truth to be shared in places that are unseen and to people who have never heard. You see, that's the third step. You have to accept the gift, you have to unwrap it, and then you have to share it. And by the time you've gone through all of that, you don't really want to share it. You want to hold on to it. But as Paul writes here, we become prisoners with responsibility. Seek the privilege to share your gift instead of sharing your gift to to gain power. Band's going to come back up as we finish up. Growing to, to the place where we are responsible with the riches of God's grace If we continue to grow to that place, it opens up doors of opportunity that we never dreamed to be imaginable. Because God reveals his riches in response to the unity that happens as we accept the gift, as we recognize our gifts, and as we share our gifts with others. That's when we begin to be able to figure out how we work together. That's when we begin to see God moving. And when we see God moving, it gives us this newfound confidence and boldness to join Jesus in the mission. Paul writes in verse 12 and 13, because of Christ, because of our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you. I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. You see, we want boldness, we want confidence, and the gospel gives us that. But the peace that makes it all work is recognizing if we're in this church thing, if we're in this gospel thing, if we're in this Jesus thing for ourselves or for others. You see, if we're in this for ourselves, we will be tempted to quietly push away from the crowd, to be the Lone Ranger. Remember that Peter guy that that God said he would build the church upon? the rock upon whom Christ would build the church, that same church that the gates of hell would never prevail against, that same church that you're engaging with this morning, you might remember that he slipped away into the darkness, hoping to not be seen, when the pressure of sharing the gift of God's grace, the pressure of sharing the Christ that he knew was too much for him. But later... 
But later when he realized that he was called to this for others, when he was given the gift of that relationship with Christ, of journeying with him so that he might share it with others, not for himself, when he got to that moment, when he knew who God had created him to be, he preached boldly and thousands came to know Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 2. So are you in this for yourself? Are you looking to slip out or are you looking to go out? So if you're looking to go out, you're in this for others. Others might be your kids. Others might be the family member who's far from the Lord right now. When I think about others, I think about the refugee who's been displaced from their country. I think about the minority who is struggling to be treated equally. I think about the neighbor who doesn't know Jesus. Do you know any others? Are you in this for them or are you in this for you? That's unity. I think about the woman or child who is being abused, perhaps even this morning as we're in here celebrating the good news of Jesus. I think about the drug addict who feels trapped by their addiction. I think about the single mom who's struggling to make ends meet. And maybe, just maybe, we should be thinking about the person sitting beside us instead of the person in our chair. You see, if we're in this for others, if we're in this for them, that's where we find the boldness. That's where we find the confidence to say, I believe in Jesus Christ. He is my Lord and Savior. And he loves me enough to die for me and enough to die for you. That's how we join Jesus on the outside. That's how we go out instead of slipping out. This morning as we respond, we always take communion together. And it's important that we examine ourselves, as Scripture says. But it's also important that we realize that when we as believers who have been baptized come up and we take a piece of that bread that that represents his body and we dip it in that juice, which represents his blood, we're also doing it as an encouragement and a testimony and a witness to our brothers and sisters in Christ. To say, I have a gift that I need to share with you. As we finish, as we move into that time of response, I just want to pray the prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians. I want to invite you to join me in that. We're going to all pray it out loud together. But we're not going to pray it for ourselves because that's the temptation in this moment, right? To let it be all about me. I want you to look at the person on your left. I want you to look at the person on your right. And I want you to pray this prayer at the end of Ephesians 3 for them. And to have the confidence then as you are for them to know that they're praying for you. And that's how unity works. And that's why unity matters because when people see that, they understand that there's something greater something greater is actually a someone named Jesus. So would you join me? We're going to pray Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. And then we're going to respond together. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. And then Christ will make his home your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. 
May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Next slide. And then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now, all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's respond to the love of Christ today.